We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Good evening and welcome to the Hoosier Huddle Podcast. I'm Sammy Jacobs. Along with me is TJ Inman. And we'll be breaking down Indiana's 56-14 win uh, over Idaho on Saturday and previewing a big, big matchup for the Hoosiers against uh, the number eight Cincinnati Bearcats who come in at 2-0 and uh, as part of a really tough uh, schedule, opening, you know, half schedule for, for the Hoosiers, uh, TJ. So... Um, before we get into that, we do have a word from our friends over at Spotify Greenroom. Spotify Greenroom is a free audio-only based uh, social media platform for sports fans. You can start or join ongoing conversations, watch games together, react to the biggest news, rumors, and games, talk with other sports fans, insiders, and executives. All you have to do is download the Spotify Greenroom app free in the iOS app store, create a profile, Link your Twitter and join your league or group. Um, TJ, how are how are we doing after Indiana's uh, big win over uh, Idaho? It was a lot more fun to watch that game than it was the Iowa game. No doubt about that. Uh, you know, a couple of couple of results stood out to you uh, on Saturday. One was Iowa going to Iowa City um, and largely controlling the game against the Cyclones, much like they did against Indiana. Uh, the outcome was not, you know, as, as wide as it was against IU. But uh, I think the moral of that was that Iowa is really good. Um, now, that, again, in no way excuses the performance that we saw from Indiana in Iowa City, but it was a, a, a little bit comforting to see Iowa you know, go there and play really well and get that win. Um, second, you have Indiana go out, jump out to a 21 nothing lead, uh, and really play 30, 35 nothing lead. Right, right. But right away, it was, you know, 21 nothing. Um, it's kind of the reverse of what Iowa did to the Hoosiers. Not in the same way, uh, and we'll get into – the offense and what we saw and what we didn't uh, against Idaho and what it means moving forward. But um, it was a very, on offense and defense, it was very methodical performance from Indiana. Um, nothing really to complain about necessarily, but nothing that got you all that revved up either. Uh, just a, a methodical performance to, to get a win that they definitely had to have and, and convincingly so. Uh, you know, it's important to remember they, they did win by 42 points. The, the thing that stood out the most was the outstanding special teams play, yep. which I do think has to be, you know, rewarded. We were critical of the special teams unit uh, when, they, when they play poorly. We have to give them a lot of credit for an outstanding performance that they had against Idaho, uh, one that we have not seen for, for decades. Yeah, the special teams performance against Idaho uh, was spectacular uh, and, and outstanding. It's something that, you know, we've talked about that IU needs. Now, that way, you can't expect that performance every every right. time. You know, IU scored two special teams touchdowns for the first time since 1969. They blocked two punts. Uh, I think they had 266 return yards and now blocks. And when you pick up the block and return at yards, that counts as punt, as punt return yards as well. Um, so it was really, really good to see and, and encouraging to see uh, if you had to nitpick, you know, James Evans, he was more consistent. I thought 
against Idaho, but he didn't show that booming leg that he did in the second half against uh, against Iowa. But the rest of the special yeah. teams unit was spectacular. And you got Chris Freeman in on a couple extra points, uh, which helps you build depth at that position as well. Uh, DJ, DJ Matthews. I mean, Reese Taylor had a nice night on punt returns. He averaged like eight yards return. Uh, but DJ Matthews is, is a game changer in that position. Uh, you know, Reese Taylor is no slouch at, at, at punt returner. He was all Big Ten uh, honorable yeah. mention or third team last year. But holy cow, that return by DJ Matthews, um, you know, if he could get – if they could do that against Cincinnati, uh, they'll be in business. Uh, Jared Smolar looked good, uh, you know, and, um, you know, the Charles Campbell's automatic – uh, things like that. You also had Jacoby Hewitt on, uh, I think he had two big kick returns. Uh, one yeah. got called back because Ty Wise was blocking with that. He continued playing without his helmet on, which is a penalty that you could kind of live with. You know, it wasn't, it's yeah. not a, it's kind of yeah. a, a, you know, hey, you should stop it. You should know better. But that's an effort thing. That's, a, you know, you want your guy to continue to play even without his helmet on. Uh, but and then Brian Fitzgerald had a nice return on a squib kick as well. So uh, hopefully yeah. that means that special teams has turned it, you know, turned a corner, turned it around. Uh, and while you can't expect all those big plays in one game like you did against Idaho, you know, if you could get a block in a game and then a, a, lar- a long return in another game, uh, it, it'll go a long way to helping this offense. Uh, TJ, let's talk about the Indiana offense uh, real quickly. One, one quick, yeah, one quick thing on on the punt returns. Tom Allen said today that, that DJ Matthews and Reese Taylor will both continue to return punts. Uh, I'm, I'm kind of curious why they would do that with the Jalen Williams has already been hurt once this season. He's expected to play uh, this coming Saturday, which is great news. But Chris Keyes, who filled in admirably uh, and looked the part of a future really good corner. Um, he has torn his ACL. He is out for the year, and Noah Pierre is moving to corner. Um, you know, given that and a, some clear, not depth concerns necessarily, but another injury, and you could see depth concerns there, Reese Taylor is not a guy that you can afford to lose, in my opinion, from that defensive backfield. I think there's more depth at wide receiver. And I think that DJ Matthews has proven both at Florida State and now at IU, he's incredibly dynamic. I I hope that that shifts to DJ Matthews getting the bulk of the punt returns. I I hope that that's what we end up seeing, but just something to keep an eye on from a uh, playing time standpoint, if you will. Who's going to get those reps uh, in meaningful action basically every game from here on out? Yeah, it's um, it's unfortunate that Christopher Keyes went down. I, I didn't see the play that he went. I don't remember no. what no, play it was. Think. He played late in the game, and that explains why Tywin Mullen was probably in late too. Because uh, they right. mentioned that on the radio broadcast late in the game. I think it was the last drive or the second to last drive where, you know, uh, Fish said, you know, it's shocking that Taiwan. But now it makes sense. Um, it, yeah. You know, you only have a limited number of bodies uh, there to start off with. So, but it, switching things to the offense, TJ, it, it's – I. I don't know. I think it's there's a lot of issues that I have with the offense. Um, and it starts, I think it starts with the offensive coordinator. You know, Michael Penix played better. Uh, and, you know, it's not his yeah. fault that they got the ball, I think, on the 13 yard line. And then, you know, it's not his fault that the, the drives he had were 20 yards, uh, you know, outside of that first one and maybe the second one and things like that. But, man, they're, they're, they're so conservative on with the offensive play calling that, you know, 
he didn't hit on any throws deep. I think he was 11 of 13 to 20 for, for 68 yards or something like that. Uh, it, it's, you know, Stephen Carr ran the ball well, but you're not getting Peyton Hendershot the ball. And, and we found out on Idaho how good A.J. Barner could be on a 76-yard touchdown pass from Jack Tuttle. And the, the question I, I posted in our, our group text was, you know, does Tuttle give you the best chance to win right now? Not saying he's better than Michael Penix or, you know, Penix is regressed, but maybe Penix is not fully ready. And this is why, you know, when you schedule opening up at Iowa and playing Cincinnati in your first two out of the three games is tough for a quarterback coming back from a, you know, a, a late November knee injury. You'd like to have, you know, Idaho and some easier games uh, at the front to try and ease him back in. And, you know, that that's the question I'll, I'll pose to you. Does Jack Tuttle, you know, and maybe it's a Nick Sheridan thing, does Jack Tuttle give this team a better chance to beat Cincinnati this week? Well, I'll tell you, I was shocked by the tempo of play that IU played with against Idaho. Um, I, I was, I mean, particularly just what stuck out the stuck out the most in my mind was that first drive, uh, eighteen, 18 plays, and what I think it was just about nine minutes. It might have gone a little over nine minutes. Um, I, I mean, that's in in one, you know, one frame of mind. You could say, well, that's that's a positive. They sustained a long drive, and you know, that's that's a winning strategy to go 18 plays and score a touchdown. That's, that's good. And I think you can make that argument in the negative sense. You would say you're playing Idaho and it took you 18 plays to get in the end zone, yeah. which is a lack of explosion on that offensive side of the ball. And I, I, I do agree with you. It comes back to, for me, Regardless of who the quarterback is, if they are not more aggressive on the offensive side of the ball, there's going to be a whole bunch of three and outs, and Indiana is going to struggle to crack, you know, 14 or 17 against Cincinnati. Uh, they're going to have to take shots down the field to loosen up the defense, to be able to run the ball. Uh, they're going to have to aggressively. I think, and we have talked about this ad nauseum, both as a group on this on this uh, podcast, they need to get the tight ends involved. That's Peyton Hendershot. That's AJ Barner. They need to get those guys involved. And then I don't I don't know if there is a running back passing game because we've yet to see it. That is something that David Ellis should excel at, and it's something that Stephen Carr was good at at USC. And we haven't seen that even sniffed yet. Um, now, you could say Indiana didn't want to put anything on tape for Cincinnati to look at. Maybe. Well, where We're going to find out. Iowa. Well, that's, that, my, that's, that's, that's my question. That's yep, and I, I think that that is very valid. We're going to find out on Saturday if they do have, you know, anything creative in the, you know, in the bag. Um, I think that they are going to absolutely need it because IU is not going to be able to. I, it was great that Luke Haggard was back and Zach Carpenter played a little bit as well in a limited role uh, on Saturday. So that's closer to the offensive line you envisioned having. That being said, IU still only got 3.6 yards per rush against Idaho and it wasn't for a lack of trying I mean they ran the ball a ton and I I understand that philosophy uh, in a game like this I understand that philosophy when you have a lead I think that that is very defensible however when you're attempting to get Michael Penix into a rhythm to get him comfortable to get him confidence which is what the coaching staff is talking about Every press conference they have and every media availability they have, it's about getting Mike more comfortable, getting Mike into rhythm, which makes sense after being out for an extended period of time. But if you're trying to do that 
I would think you'd be attempting to take shots down the field if you feel like you can block it. And that's my concern right now is the lack of creative game plan, the lack of aggressive game plan from the offense, maybe that's in place because they don't feel comfortable that they're able to block it, um, which is a, a big concern, obviously. I mean, what you saw, and this is an extreme example, IU does not have the caliber of player on the offensive front that Oregon does, but Oregon went to Ohio State with a, you know, run first approach, but they were aggressive in the way that they were running. It was some quick tempo stuff. They were being very aggressive at the point of attack. I mean, I don't know if, if you've, this is somewhat unrelated, but their offensive line coach, I mean, he looks like a, a jockey next to those gigantic offensive linemen. It looks like what I would look like stepping on a football field against any of these guys. But it strikes me that Oregon's offensive line was able to completely physically dominate a game against Ohio State. Indiana, who is attempting to get to that level, you know, that's the goal. That's the stated goal is to win the Big Ten. Darren Hiller's unit, despite recruiting fairly well, has shown zero ability to take over games in that way. Zero up to this point. And I think that that has to be the biggest concern is that offensive line play combined with and probably related to a complete lack of creative play calling from Nick Sheridan. Now, again, we do have to point out IU won by 42 points and, you know, put up 56 points. A lot of that due to special teams play. I get that, but still it, it was a successful game. For Indiana. I don't want that to get lost in the weeds as we, I mean, it sounds like a, a bit of a, on the Big Ten Network, they were, you know, after the game, it, you would have thought that IU lost by, you know, 50, uh, the way that they were talking about the program. But I, the, the question, after my rambling, the question of Tuttle or Penix, I honestly don't really care because my larger issues are the offensive play calling, regardless of who the quarterback is, and the, the blocking. And if those two things are not improved for Saturday, it does not matter which one of those guys is a quarterback. Yeah, uh, yeah, I agree with you there. Uh, I also think, you know, Ty Freifogel needs to, to start getting separation from defensive backs and Cincinnati's going to have a really good secondary and, and they're going to try and shut him down, which, you know, for the most part teams have, he does have 10 catches, but it's under for under 200 yards, you know, uh, total. So it's going to be the the offense can't just line up and the, with the way that they're playing uh, along the offense and, and bully people, um, and do stuff like that. So it's, they're going to have to get creative and they're, you know, it, maybe do, did we see a wide receiver screen at all yesterday? Uh, I don't remember it. If, if there was one. I don't recall, yeah. I, I don't recall. They attempted to, I mean, that one of the only targets to a tight end before that deep shot to Barner, uh, you know, was a little kind of delayed slip screen, uh, for Bjorson and he, you know, fell over, but that, that was open. It's just an example of that's a type of play that can be successful using your personnel that you have. He had 10, 15 yards in front of him. If he would have been able to stay on his feet, you know, and that, that's a short pass that can act as a run. It's low risk and it gets the ball out of Michael Penix's hand with a high probability of a completion. Yep. You know, nobody did anything wrong that play. Bjorson just got tangled up and, and fell. But that's the type of thing I, I would like to see more of. You've got to get guys involved with high percentage plays. And the short passing game is something that I think we need to see more of. And then the tempo doesn't really make any sense to me why they were going 
at such a slow pace. I don't, and I know some of that is because you, that's a philosophy uh, that, that protects the defense. I, I get that, but it, it was slowed down to an extent that I think it showed a real concern about what the state that your offense is actually in. Yeah, it was kind of shocking how slow they went because, uh, you know, it, it's it, you would think that would be something that Idaho would want to do is shorten the game. Uh, and, sure. you know, it, Idaho ended up scoring 14 points. And, you know, without the special teams and the Havoc plays, who knows what the score of that game would have been. But if you take a nine-minute drive to put up seven points and Idaho's scoring in a, in a minute and a half, that's how upsets happen. And that's, you know, when if Ohio – if IU's going to beat Ohio, that's how they're going to have to do it is put together a 18-play, 80-yard drive and put seven points on the board and – you know, shorten the game to, to keep it close and, and then go and win it at the end. It, it's a formula that underdogs have been using since the dawn of time uh, in, in football. So that, that was concerning. It just it, the, the lack of creativity. Uh, there's too many good athletes on this team to not have a good offense. And maybe it goes back on, on Darren Hiller as well. Um Look, they're not making a change in the middle of the season uh, that that I that I know of or that I, I foresee. But he's had four years with this unit, and it's regressed. So it, it's it's time to – your window, and I talked about this after Iowa, your window is only open for a certain amount of time before it either starts closing or you have to extend it and keep it open. So – if the offensive line is the downfall of this team and you could see the improvements from Michigan state Rutgers, you know, Purdue is two and oh, they beat UConn, but you know, they're gaining confidence. If this team struggles to get the six wins, you have to reevaluate what you're doing on the offensive line. Cause that they have held this program back the last couple of years on offense and, and maybe, um, you know, you look at offensive coordinator as well and you say, you know, okay, if you can't block, you know, those downfield passes, what can we do to, to offset that? And I, I don't think Sheridan has done a very good job at that, that either. Let's move over to the defensive side of the ball, uh, TJ. I, I thought Indiana's defense outside of the last drive of the first half yeah. and the first drive of the second half uh, was outstanding. They played with fanatical effort. They yep. got the strip sack um, and things like that. They probably need a few more Havoc plays. I'd like to have seen them play a few more young guys to develop depth. But, you know, Michael McFadden, played really well. Ryder Anderson is a, is a total beast uh, along that defensive line. Yeah. Um, they did have success going at Tywin Mullen, which is kind of concerning, but also it, it's, he, he, he has his track record and, and you trust him to, to improve. Um, it's, I, it was just another ho-hum, really solid defensive effort from, from Indiana outside of, outside of two drives, which we, you saw Tom Allen was not happy with uh, either. What, what was your takeaway from the defense on uh, on Saturday? Yeah, credit to, to Hayden Hatton, uh, the Idaho receiver that had two, two touchdowns. Um, he's a good player. He, he had uh, had some really nice catches. So, you know, credit where it's due to him as well. But I thought the defense was really good. Third down conversions for Idaho, just three of 14 and then one of two on fourth down, uh, Indiana only a- allowed them to get into the red zone one time. Uh, they did score on that trip, but still just the one time that they got into the red zone. So I, I thought it was a very good performance by the defense. And, yeah, they came out and set the tone very early uh, with some, you know, really good pursuit to the ball, some hard hits early on. It was clear that they were playing with a, a really good intensity level right out of the gate. Uh, and I think that that helped kind of 
settled things down right away. Them plus the special teams, and then you know that long methodical drive by the offense kind of set things up early to let you know, calm the nerves. Let Idaho know, you know, I we were bad last week, but you're not coming in here to get any type of upset sniff. So um, I thought the defense was good, not the best performance we've seen, but certainly you'd take that every time out if you can get it. Uh, they were they were pretty good in most phases of that contest. Um, trying to see three yards of carry for Idaho. Uh, they ran it 22 times for a net of 65 yards. That's really good. That's really good defense. Um, so you like the run defense. You like what Ryder Anderson continues to bring. Uh, and then, you know, you know what you're getting with that secondary uh, and then I think Weston Kramer continues to show that he's an impactful transfer as well. So uh, really like what I saw from that unit as a whole. And I'm excited to see what they do with Desmond Ritter, who is uh, possibly the best quarterback I use going to see this year. I think you could make an argument for a couple of guys, but Ritter's probably the one that I'd, I'd single out. Yeah, they're really, really – you know, good. Um, we'll see what Cincinnati. This is this Cincinnati's first test of the season as well. They beat Miami of Ohio in the first uh, game of the season, 49-14. Uh, they beat Murray State last week. I think it was 7-7 at halftime, uh, but they right. ended up winning 42-7. Uh, so it's kind of a slow start. Uh, Desmond Ritter, is there, he's a really uh, good quarterback. Uh, he's completed 34 of 47 passes. That's 72.3% for 538 yards, six touchdowns, one interception. He has been sacked four times. Um, they have a good running back, two good run, running backs. Um, but Jerome Ford is their main running back. He's averaging seven over seven and a half yards per carry, uh, 30 attempts uh, with four touchdowns. They got a... Um, you know, four wide receivers who are, you know, over 17 yards per catch. Uh, they're led by Tyler Scott. It was five for 155 and two touchdowns. They played a lot of people um, coming in. Now, it's a non-conference game, so so Cincinnati could bring whoever they want, uh, want to in. Uh, their defense has three sacks on the year. They have uh, – three interceptions and, and a forced fumble. So I thought their defensive numbers would be better, but uh, Cincinnati's a real, real solid team. Uh, you know, they're coming in off a road or uh, off a peach bowl performance. Charlton Warren should be familiar with this team. He did play against them. Well, he coached against them in the, in the peach bowl. He's familiar with Desmond Ritter. Uh, and things like that. What's your takeaway from Cincinnati, TJ? Well, I, yeah, Ford is a very good running back. He's He had over six yards to carry last year as well. Um, I, I think he's a little different than Goodson, more of a physical runner uh, than, than Goodson is. He's not going to be a threat out of the backfield to catch the ball. Um, I think their, their best pass catcher is, is probably Josh Wiley. Uh, tight end, and they, they've got another tight end, Leonard Taylor. It's also very good. This is a very veteran team. Uh, across their starting lineup, you're going to see, really without exception, junior, senior, or super senior are going to be their starters. Uh, they are, some of their depth is young guys, but for the most part, this is a very veteran team that has been through uh, been through the fires, has that experience going against Georgia last year. You know, if you go back and look at their defense going back to the beginning of 2020, they've only had one team exceed, I believe it's one team exceed 24 points. Uh, and that was uh, Central Florida um, scoring 36 uh, or 33. Central Florida scored 33. Cincinnati beat them 36 to 33 in Orlando. Uh, that's what got them to the AAC title game against Tulsa. Um, Georgia scored 24 on them in a 
you know, pretty fun peach bowl, but it's a very good defense, not quite the streak or not quite the strength that Iowa uh, has on that side of the ball, but right there with them. Um, they're going to be a bit more aggressive on the defensive side of the ball than Iowa. Uh, they did lose their defensive coordinator to Notre Dame, so but it, it's it's Luke Fickle's defense. It's going to be the same philosophy. Uh, yeah, they have not been tested yet this year, so I think that that is probably an advantage for Indiana, just that they have gone up against a major opponent. They've been hit in the mouth already. Uh, there's not going to be any surprise about the speed of this game for the Hoosiers, whereas Cincinnati, you know, they will have not had a truly competitive game since January 1st uh, against the Bulldogs. So I think that's the really interesting part. And then Desmond Ritter, I use defense has to figure out a way to contain his rush, keep him in the pocket, uh, and pressure him without losing that contain. Uh, because, you know, there's there's nothing more frustrating for a defense than forcing a third and medium or a third and long, getting pressure on the quarterback, and then you lose contain and he sneaks to the outside, gets the first down and runs out of bounds or slides down with the first down that will demoralize you as a defense. Uh, so that's going to be a big key for the Hoosiers. And on the other side of the ball, I use offense. We've already talked about it. Keeping whoever the quarterback is, it's going to be Michael Penix starting the game. Yep. Whoever's back there, giving them a clean pocket to work from. And then as an offense, having the confidence to be aggressive on that side of the ball. You cannot play scared and hope that you can beat Cincinnati 17 to 14. I, I, I trust I use defense for sure, but if you're asking them to keep Cincinnati, you know, at, at 14 points in order for you to win that game, you're, that's a recipe to lose. In my opinion, yeah. you have to go out there aggressively on offense thinking we've got to go score points. We cannot wait and see if we need to score or if we can just be safe on offense we got to see aggressiveness from the offense. We have to see creativity and a desire to go get points down the field. Yeah, I agree with you. And the crowd, it's we haven't didn't talk about this uh, uh, with Idaho, but that crowd Saturday night, TJ, was amazing. I, I think it came across TV well. Um, yeah, it was yeah. forty-seven thousand people, which is, you know, outside of the Ohio State opener in twenty seventeen. That hasn't happened. Um, it was, especially for an FCS t uh, opponent, the students packed the house. The new band director uh, as well did a fantastic job. They did a formation with the sample gates. Uh, they did a couple other formations with, with the, the outline of the state of Indiana. They, you know, played new songs. They got rid of the flags between the third and fourth quarter. I think they played the fight song again after touchdowns instead of the first down song. It, it was just a much better game day experience um, from from that from that perspective. I the the game on Saturday is sold out, um, yep. and your your hope the hope is is that it's more IU fans in Cincinnati, uh, which it should be. Uh, it is a noon game, so you know as long as the crowd gets there on time. Uh, for kickoff, it's going to be a loud crowd, uh, and it's it, it, you saw it energize that defense in the first half, energize the the offense in the first half and special teams as well. The Memorial Stadium was rocking on Saturday night, and I've never seen the wave go around Memorial Stadium with mainly IU fans um, three times around the stadium. So it was. Kudos to the fans who came out, uh, tailgated, made it into the game. Uh, of course, people left early. It was a late game, uh, which makes sense. Uh, and, and it was a blowout. So to beat traffic, uh, you know, leaving early was fine. But Saturday is a game against Cincinnati. Uh, people should be in their seats from, from start to finish as well. So let's get into our uh, – predictions and um, picks for the Big Ten games this week. It's presented by PointsBet. Uh, they provide the spreads for 
all the games that we look at, uh, I don't think there are that many great uh, Big Ten games this week. But, um, you know, there are a a couple in there um, in in the Big Ten. You have another early season conference matchup on Friday night, uh, a a late 9 p.m. start. Uh, with Maryland going to Illinois. Illinois has dropped the last two games uh, since they knocked off Nebraska in week zero. Maryland is a seven-and-a-half-point favorite. Uh, TJ, do you like Maryland going to Illinois uh, and covering that seven-and-a-half points? Mer- or, uh, Illinois has shown absolutely nothing positive since knocking off uh, Nebraska. So I, I think you have to take the Terps right here. Um, it's been a really good start for them beating West Virginia and then handling Howard, which doesn't really mean anything, but you know, that West Virginia win is better than the win over Nebraska. And then I, I don't think that Illinois has shown anything that would make you confident in taking them. So I'll take Maryland. Yeah, I, I think I take Maryland as well. I don't know if they cover the seven and a half, though. Um, yeah, so I'll, I'll take Illinois uh, with the, the seven and a half points. Next, we go down on Saturday at noon, Michigan State at Miami uh, of Florida. The Hurricanes are six and a half point favorites. Uh, I, I tend to lean towards towards Miami uh, as well. They, they Barely escaped Appalachian State with the uh, with the win. They got hammered in the opener uh, against Alabama. Um, does Miami cover here? Is it going down in the heat? Now I know it's been hot in the Midwest, uh, but that Florida heat is a little different uh, in September. Yeah. Do you see the the Hurricanes covering? Uh, so I'm not touching that game because I, I don't know. One, we don't know what Michigan State is. I mean, they look great against Northwestern, but I thought Northwestern looked incredibly slow in that game. Um, and then Miami, again, not sure what they have either, so I'd probably stay away from it. But when pressed to make a pick, I would go with the home team. You're getting less than a touchdown if you're Michigan State. So as long as it stays under seven, I'd probably stick with the Hurricanes at home. Thank me too. Um Next, we go out to Oklahoma for Nebraska and Oklahoma. And if you told somebody from 50 years ago that the spread on this game would be 22 points, they would have called you crazy. Um, yeah. Oklahoma is a 22-point favorite at home. That is a huge spread for two, um, you know, supposed blue blood programs with a lot of history uh, and, and things like that. Does Nebraska have a chance to cover the 22 points? I mean, they have a chance, but there's no way on earth I'm betting Nebraska to to cover against Oklahoma right now. No way. I would take the Oklahoma Sooners, and I would take the over. Uh, I know people are probably a bit scared off by what Tulane did, uh, and that's understandable, but I think Tulane's pretty darn good. Um, they played a very physical game and I think really surprised Oklahoma. Uh, I think the Sooners will be up to, to make a bit of a statement in this one and, and really put a whooping on the Cornhuskers. I would take Oklahoma minus 22 and a half, and I would take over. I'm seeing 61 and a half because I, I think Oklahoma puts 50 plus on the board. Again, the spreads and lines uh, and over-unders are brought to you by PointsBet. Uh, there are two more uh, Big Ten Power Five games Um if you count Notre Dame as power five, we do. Uh, Minnesota goes out to Colorado. They're underdog by two points. The over there is 50. Uh, d- does Minnesota go into Colorado and, and spring a mini upset? Yeah, I mean, the Buffalo is really impressive on defense against Texas A&M. Uh, nearly pulled off that big upset. That game was in Denver, uh, played at the, the Broncos stadium. This one is in Boulder, and I, no I'm mo- not – No Ibrahim. Yeah. I Minnesota really struggled with Miami of Ohio. I would lean towards Colorado, 
Texas A&M's defense is really good, so that that could explain the, the low score there. They'll have more success scoring against the Gophers. I do think Colorado's defense is is a good one. They're a very physical team. Uh, they don't fit that typical, you know, old Pac-12 mentality of just chucking it around. They're they're different than that. Um, I would take Colorado minus two, and then our, our last game probably you know Purdue and Notre Dame. Yep. Very interesting one for sure. Uh, Notre Dame favored by a touchdown. They're favored by seven. Um, ah, boy. Sander Horvath is out for this one. That's a big loss for Purdue. He provides a different element than anyone else on that roster can. Uh, Notre Dame, 2-0, and but two very unconvincing performances. Uh, their their offense has looked better than their defense has. I, I do – Purdue hasn't proved it to me yet, and Notre Dame as a program definitely has. Uh, so I'm going to give Brian Kelly – the benefit of the doubt uh, to get some things figured out on the defensive side of the ball. Uh, Notre Dame covers this one. And I, I think it would not surprise me to see Notre Dame kind of pull away and win this one by 17 or so. Yeah, and then finally we have Indiana's a three and a half point underdog against Cincinnati. Uh, let's get into that. What is your prediction for IU Cincinnati? Oh boy, I have thought about this one for for you know two weeks, really since the Iowa game. Um, I I sincerely want to take Indiana, and I'm going to, but it is out of blind optimism that the offense is going to show us something that they haven't showed us yet. And that's probably foolish on my part to expect it. Um, but I do, uh, there's enough talent and uh, enough experience on this offense that I do think that there are some things that they have not shown that we are going to see on Saturday, both from an execution standpoint and from an aggressiveness standpoint down the field, I think a couple of things are going to click. I think IU forces a couple of takeaways against Cincinnati. I think they make a nice special teams play, probably not a punt return for a touchdown or a punt block, but maybe a, a good return or two uh, that, that helps them. And then Charles Campbell, um, I do think it, it's a weapon that IU could use in a game like this. It's going to be a big environment, a big atmosphere, that I think the players are going to feed off of. Uh, I will take Indiana to win this game 24 to 20. Wow. Um, I'm going to go. I, I got burned by picking IU over Iowa, uh, and I've learned my lesson. Um, I'm going to take Cincinnati. I, I don't think IU's offense has shown that they could score, um, you know, and it's so hard in this day and age of college football to just rely on your defense to hold the team to, to 17 or, or 21 points. Uh, you know, when all the rules favor the offense, uh, Desmond Ritter is a fantastic quarterback. I, I do think yeah. it's a close game. I would take Cincinnati 28, uh, 21 uh, over the Hoosiers. Uh, they start the season one and two, and you have a must win game against Western Kentucky coming up. Uh, in the next week, but hopefully I'm wrong. No, I mean, I, I think, I think your analysis is right. You know, you said Indiana's offense hasn't shown the ability to score against a defense like Cincinnati's. You're right. They absolutely have not shown that. So my pick is that that they get something figured out between now or really between, you know, I, I will say between the Iowa game and the Cincinnati game, because I think that the game plan for Idaho, I, I think there was a purposefulness to why they played offense the way that they did. And I, I'm just banking on there being some tricks in the bag that IU pulls out um, and some weapons that we see deployed that we haven't seen deployed yet. But 
I would love to see Donovan McCulley play. I'd love to see them use Jack Tuttle a, a lot more in the passing game. I, and David Ellis is back and, and things like that, but they haven't shown that they could do that. And why Donovan McCulley is sitting on the bench um, when he got rave reviews in fall camp is beyond me because you're not going to redshirt him. He's not staying in Bloomington for five years. So it's either malpractice or something's going on with, you know, maybe he's banged up or just not ready, but there's no way he's sticking around for five years. So why, if he's ready and not hurt, um, are you letting him sit on the bench? So I will see. uh, Surprised he didn't get some of the fourth quarter snaps. Um, I understand wanting to get Tuttle snaps as well. I'm sure he's earned it with, with his hard work, but I am a bit surprised that we did not see at least a, a little glimpse of Donovan McCauley. Uh, but again, maybe that's holding that back for Cincinnati. But that is that is a hope on my part. And um, I, the one thing I'm sure of is that noon on Saturday is going to be a really cool atmosphere in Bloomington. I don't know how the game is going to turn out, but I'm excited for the experience uh, that I think – you know, a big game in Bloomington uh, is is going to have. I think that that's going to be a lot of fun and it hopefully a great day for IU football because you get all those people in the game and they have a great time and you have a positive result, guess what those people are going to do? Come back. They're going to complain that it's too humid outside. Well, you're, you're going to have your complainers, no doubt about that. The lines are too long. Tickets are too expensive. Construction's bad. It's hard to park. Um, you know, I, the, the bleachers hurt my butt. Um, Say that you know, one today. Insert, your, uh, insert your, your complaint here. That's going to happen. Yeah. And with a loss, those excuses magically hold more weight, don't they? With a with a good performance and a win over a top ten team that gets that positive feeling back around the program uh, and really makes up for that Iowa game, those excuses don't really hold much weight beyond one or two people that are just going to be miserable human beings regardless. So I I'm looking forward to the experience that uh, that is a big game in Bloomington and hopefully the much much better result than the last big game uh, that we saw, which was against Iowa. So I'm excited for it. It is a nervous excitedness, though, because there is a version of this that I think goes rather poorly. Um, But I also think that there's a version that, you know, we could see something really special happen on Saturday. So all cards are on the table. It's time for the Hoosiers to, to show us who they are. Yeah, it's certainly true. It's, you know, redemption time for the game at Iowa, for the bowl game, uh, and, and things like that. So Indiana is going to have to to come up and uh, and and get it done. Um, TJ, that does it for today's podcast. Thanks for joining us, uh, as always. Uh, The game, it kicks off at noon. It's on ESPN on Saturday. Uh, Tune in, head down to Bloomington. My suggestion, if you're going to Bloomington for the game, leave early, get there early. Um, I took 67 down to 39 to to 69 last week, and it worked pretty well. Um, So just enjoy another top 10 um, opponent for, for Indiana football and, and um, enjoy the big game atmosphere and the sold out uh, Memorial Stadium for a game that's not against Ohio State. So thanks yeah. for joining me, TJ. Thanks everybody for listening. All right, that does it for today's uh, podcast uh, for the Cincinnati game. Come back to HoosierHuddle.com. Read all our pregame analysis uh, we have both projections that came out today, power rankings, uh, a know your opponent uh, as well that's going to uh, come out tomorrow, uh, and some other things. So have a great night. We'll be back 
next Monday to break down the Indiana game against Cincinnati. There's no distance too far for the perfect trip. Hi, checking in for... Or the perfect table. Hey, where are you? Coming! And when you get access to Resi Priority Notify with your Amex Platinum card... Hey, this looks amazing. I'm so glad you made it. And travel benefits at fine hotels and resorts booked through Amex Travel. It's worth the trip. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate, how a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word, Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. That's not just the sound of that first sip of Morning Joe. It's the sound of someone shopping for a car on Carvana from the comfort of home. That's a good blend. It's time to take it easy, like answering some easy questions to get pre-qualified for a car in minutes. Talk about starting the morning right. Just like customizing your terms so your car fits your budget. Mm, mm, mm. Visit Carvana.com or download the app to experience car shopping the way it should be. Convenient. Comfortable. Ah. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply.